and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we talk about some Dungeons and Dragons and how we might include it into our role-playing campaign. That's not exactly what I've got down here, but you know what? Morning brain, fuck it. It's fine. <laughs> my name is Fiona, and with me, as always, is my wonderful co-host who does get words right, and sometimes in the correct order, it's Ryan. Hello. Ryan, hello. How are you, my friend? I'm very good. The, the correct order is something that is very arbitrary, and you just have to run with a lot of the time. I, I don't know if that's a good thing. I, you see, I get told off repeatedly for saying words wrong, for getting things in the wrong order, so you've just got to run with it, I think. I try, but I think, because I'm very aware that I get them in the wrong order, I, I do that sort of thing going, oops, straight away, and I forget there needs to be a filter between me saying oops and then saying it aloud. It's called have... the British reflex. It's, it's like oh, the it's apology so reflex. <laughs> That's all you're doing. It's not actually because you've said something wrong. It's because something's come up in your head that you have the immediate need to apologize for. And as soon as your brain goes, ah, yes, there's something to apologize for. You have to jump on it. I do it all the time. It's really funny. I know that. Wow. The British phenomena. That's wow. I'm so glad you told me. And now I, I will <laughs> blame that rather than just me being an idiot. Perfect. Exactly. I find it's way better to blame entire nationalities and stereotypes than it is to blame yourself in any way. It's, it's easier to do. Well, I I'm so glad you told me. Let me just change <laughs> boot out of Zoom. Yes. So, Ryan, <laughs> what are we talking about today? What is our topic of choice? So, we started this series off with a double whammy into Tasha's cauldron of everything. And one of the running themes with the entire book is its flexibility. So the idea that the rules of fifth edition D&D are being put in a pedestal, torn up in front of your eyes, thrown into one of those huge domes that the Crystal Maze used to have at the end of their series, where you have to go and collect all of the little golden tickets. If you don't know what Crystal Maze is, shame on you. Yes. Go and look it up. It's mm -hmm. brilliant. It is brilliant. And as the pieces fall, you can create a character that's based on your own image and thoughts and crazy anime-like daydreams that you have in the day, rather than something that's based in stats and in the book, per se. So what I was thinking was we're going to step back to the original source material for a little bit. We're going to go back to the player's handbook, and we're going to talk about a topic that I don't think we've covered so far, but was originally the main idea behind character flexibility it's chapter six customization options and specifically today we're going to be talking about multi-classing the original way for you to let your character express itself outside of the bounds of a single class tree yeah. when you suggested this to me i was like hooray <laughs> as a sort of <laughs> underlying uh, because to me multi-classing sounds like the hardest thing to do in DD, &D. and i think one of the things that's happened in most recent years is that thanks to stuff like D&D Beyond and automating character sheets, it is a lot easier to do that. And obviously with the introduction of like Tash and everything, it's even more easier. Even more easier? Words are still not my strong point. Um, but no, I, they are. It is even more easier. I think that's a great phrase. Even yeah. more easier. Some of the... Uh, before we go into the detail of it, yeah, there are areas of multiclassing that are divided into sort of different categories, I think. And there's how does it work is the first category. There's the kind of rule changes, the big sweeping rule changes that you just have to keep in mind when you enable multi-classing, some of the sort of caveats that come with it. And then there's spell casting. Yeah. And it kind of goes into three levels of like how complicated it is to get your tiny mind around. Because when I look at this, it sort of goes, okay, yeah, I can get that in my head. You read that and go, okay, no, that makes sense. That's just balancing. And then you go spell casting and you think, ah, okay, right. Now I need to think about this. So yeah. As with all D&D &D books, it's always in two columns. So you think, oh, no, this is fine. This is fine. And then you get to the final page and then there's a whole 
column all about spellcasting and inside my, I die a little I have to be honest yeah. uh, but yeah. it says right at the beginning it's about you know all these sort of combinations of ability scores race class everything that defines your capabilities as a character and then the personal details is what makes it unique but this is just yet another way of fine-tuning your character and one step further into that sort of advanced mode and I, I thought that was actually quite interesting because this is the sort of thing you'd see in video games essentially and it's weird to see it for me I know it's been around obviously for ages but to do it in a pen and paper role-playing game and work out all the stats sort of manually which I it sounds really stupid but I just I just it's something I you always see in say Dragon Age or Skyrim where you mm. can build up little things and then build up what you want and it works out perfectly and I guess for me one of the fears I have is that if I did multi-class is that I would get it wrong completely have a broken character that either I won't enjoy the game anymore or nobody else will enjoy the game anymore and that's not how I play <laughs> uh, RPGs. Yeah the thing to take away from this is that there are there's easy ways of multi-classing. If you've ever watched any YouTube videos about how to make the perfect character and most fun ways of adapting your, your min-maxing your character and all of these things that pop along multi-classing is one of the huge ways of doing it and there are some what they call dips so like a couple of levels that you can go into in a particular class that are much easier to do than others so they're not once we get around the basic rules of multi-classing you will be able to go away and do this and just be thankful that you didn't pick cleric or wizard because <laughs> everything else is everything else is rosy yes yes uh, you too can also multi-class that's what we're getting from this session i like it <laughs> All right, well, give us the overview. What do we need to know before we begin to start multiclassing our characters? One thing you do have to remember, as well as feats, and people forget this, multiclassing is an optional rule in D&D. It is not something that is a given, and it is something for your DM to agree to. People forget that with feats all the time, because you look at other feats and you think, oh, I want to be a great weapon master or lucky or whatever the really meta feats are at that particular point in time. But it is optional. So if you want to multiclass, do make sure you have a chat with your DM or whoever's running your adventurous guild beforehand just to make sure they're comfortable with it normally they are and normally if you make a decent pitch for it they will let you but it's not it's not a, a given and it does add an element of complexity into the game because don't forget you have to understand your character but the dm has to understand every character in your group and if they're up against it with their amount of information they're retaining in their head on a campaign because there's a lot of reading material there's a lot of npcs with very different things they may say you know what can i have an easier time do you mind just running a straight character so give them the option to say no but assuming multi-classing is available for you the idea is about what i like to call a sharp character versus a well-rounded character it's the two different aspects of what you can go for sharp is when you focus on a particular strength of the character and you pinpoint and focus on that strength repeatedly. So for instance, if you are playing a fighter, it is a dexterity fighter, which means you're really, really good with a bow and arrow. And as you're leveling up through the fighter class, you go to level three, level four, level five, you picked the archery fighting style. You now have the sharpshooter feeds. You've gone all of these things that, that are based on you being a really, really good archer. That's great. Multiclassing is the opposite. Multiclassing gives you a well-rounded character, a versatile character at the expense of some of the specialization of that particular class. So if you start then dropping into, let's say, Rogue or Warlock or anything that gives you a little bit more versatility, you will find that your archery may not improve. The fighter abilities that would normally give you all of these benefits will start to stop. 
but you will get other things, other skills that will give you a much wider, versatile range of abilities, a bigger hand, for instance, to play. Even if your cards are less effective, you'll have more of them. And you can start to build a character that is just hugely diverse. And the good thing about multi-classing is there's no real limit to how much you want to dabble in, in other classes and to what extent you want to do it. So in the book, it gives a very simple example of which I would call the easiest uh, customization multi-classing yes. sort of option, <laughs> which is the fighter rogue option, because that is lovely and simple to do. The rogue Level one rogue dip is, is a very famous in the multi-classing world as to being like a very good pick. You get expertise, you get a little bit of sneak attack. It's good fun, but you can make it more complicated. And then you start to build in more things. So you get a level of bard, you get a level of druid, you get a level of sorcerer. It gives you all of these extra abilities that all the classes give you, but it doesn't let you narrow your ability and focus. So you're not very effective in any one thing. So it's not for everybody, but it can lead to a very wide range in character. When you look at it, like you said, there's no cap for how many levels you can you can take it or any um, class you can specialize in, which I thought was really interesting because I thought, mm. oh, when you multi-class for me, you're like, oh, at least two, because that's what the common you see. But you can it's suggested in the book you can get up to four, maybe five or six. And I was just like, wow, that's to wrap your head around that. It's one of those things where I'm like paying off for the versatility and sort of being more well-rounded gets to a point where it's like if you think of a graph it goes up you're like oh this is really good and then it sort of levels off plateaus and it probably goes down towards the end because you are so spread out with your your abilities and stuff and again mm. we'll probably go on to this but some of the prerequisites that you need for certain classes probably means you can't necessarily take a level in every single class and you probably wouldn't yeah. want to unless you've got a very diverse ability sort of score tree, you know, the stats that you've rolled up. And, because that, that's right, there are prerequisites to this. You've got to have skills or ability scores up to a certain level in order to multi-class. Um, the thing that people need to remember about it is that you need to have a certain ability score minimum, not only in the class you want to multi-class into, but you also need it in your original class. People forget about that a little bit. And I don't think it comes up that often because the ability score minimum for all multi-classing is 13, which is a mm -hmm. plus one. It's not that high a number. I don't think I've ever seen anybody make a character that they didn't have plus one in their primary stats. I think it does happen, especially if you want to play a, and there are options to play campaigns where instead of rolling 4d6, you roll 3d6 and, and you play more civilian-esque characters, or maybe it's a horror game where you're playing characters that really can't do much. So I have seen it, but generally speaking, you'll have the ability score minimum, but you've got to remember that you've got to have 13 or higher in whatever ability score minimums your class differentiates. So for instance, in the fighter rogue combination, fighter needs you to have dex or strength of 13 and rogue says that you should have dex of 13. So they work quite well together. As long as your character has dex 13, you can multi-class between them. But if your character only has 12 charisma, for instance, and you were a fighter, you couldn't then dip into Bard, Sorcerer, Warlock, or Paladin, because all of those need Charisma of 13. Mm -hmm. So it's always worth keeping an eye on your ability scores. 
And the other thing to quickly say as well is that obviously with the new introduction of Artificer as well, you can also do the same thing. You know what? It's one thing I didn't check is I think it's intelligence-based. I think it is, yeah. The rules for that are in the front of Tasha's. So if you want to check those out, the Artificer class, they've they've thought about it quite a lot. Um, And and some of the rules that we're going to go into with the differences between a multi-class first level and a genuine first level, they go through all of that for the Artificer, which which is really handy, actually. All of these prerequisites are basically to give the idea that your character needs to be competent in enough skills related to that class so that they're picking it up on the fly. Because a level one character is kind of given that they've gained their skills from their upbringing, whereas a multi-class is kind of, once they start to adventure, they're making it up basically by self-teaching themselves based on their adventure experiences. So you've got to be quite good naturally in order to get this stuff to work. Mm, yeah, there's a line in it that says, without the full training that a beginning character receives, you must be a quick study in your new class, having natural aptitude that is reflected in the higher than average ability scores, which I think is a good way to think about it. It's like picking it up on the fly. And yeah, I just made a note about that multiclassing example with Gary and Dave, which I thought was the two most generic names you could yeah, have. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, it's really good. If you need to get your head around it, it is a really good, just quick read through. I think it's one of the better uh, like explanations of how to do it much more so than at the beginning of the book where it's like a step-by-step character creation with the uh, dwarven fighter i think it is yes so we've got the prerequisites that we need you know we're ready to go what else do we need to consider when we're about to multi-class the next sort of set of rules they divide into kind of two categories you've got the rules that define on your adventurer level And then you've got the rules that define on your class levels. The two concepts are quite different here. When you multi-class, you're going to have two classes at the very minimum that you now have levels in. You could be, using these multi-class examples of good old Gary, he is a fourth level fighter and a first level rogue. So when you read through the book and it describes, well, you've got to have a look at your fighter level or your rogue level, he would be a fighter four and a rogue one. He is, however, a character level five, and that's important for other skills. So two of the aspects that work on character level are experience points and proficiency bonuses. Those two are all based on your character level, not your multiclassing level. So when the DM is giving you experience points, you're in the Adventurers League, you're doing whatever campaign you're running, whatever module you're taking part in. As your character gets experience points, you level up based on your character level rather than the level of the class that you're looking to upgrade. And this makes a big difference if you were a 15th level paladin, first level rogue, for instance. You're not getting enough experience to get your second level of rogue. You're getting enough experience to get your 17th class level or Mm -hmm. sorry your 17th adventurer level Mm -hmm. so it's worth keeping that in mind the more levels you get the harder it is to level up so multi-classing begins to get more and more difficult in exactly the same way but it's harder to level up from a 15th to 16th level cleric than it is to level up from a third to fourth level cleric it's exactly the same progression Mm -hmm. and proficiency bonuses work along the same lines there are five proficiency bonuses that you can have as a player that range from plus two to plus six towards the end of the game and it's based on your character level so if i had a random character that was a bard one cleric one druid one fighter one monk one paladin one ranger one rogue one i'd be a ninth level character even though i'm only level one in all of those classes so i would have a plus four proficiency rather than a plus two proficiency because that's Mm -hmm. the level that you get as a level nine character 
fairly straightforward. I think the stuff with the experience may be put by the wayside now, just because I think there's been a big shift towards uh, story, yeah, milestone XP yeah. and leveling up yeah. now. But it is good to know because obviously some people don't do that, and I think that is it. It, it makes sense absolutely that you are treating this character as a full thing, not two separate characters. So yeah, I, I think that's completely straightforward. Experience points, I think, are still used quite heavily in the sort of Adventurers League community mm -hmm. or when you're dropping in and out of DM groups and you want to keep a consistent character with consistent stats. So it is important to note that. But as I say, if you're playing a milestone campaign with your friends or you're, you're sort of meeting up on a regular basis, then yes, your character level goes up with the rest of the character levels. You'll just find that you can then dip into different classes as you go along. So what about hit points and hit die then? Every class has slightly different ones. What do we do about that? So that's, this is one of the things that goes into class leveling and where your class level is much different. If you have the luxury of picking two multi-classes with the same hit dice, it's not as difficult. So if you've got a rogue monk combo, for instance, you are somebody that's using D8s in both of your classes. So as you level up, you get D8s from both of them. If, however, you decide to have a bit more of a random combination where you've, for instance, gone for a barbarian sorcerer mix, you will have d12s from your barbarian and you will have d6s from your sorcerer you can make a little bit of a difference so when you get your first level your first level being the literal first level your character has that is how you calculate your level one hit points so for instance if you're a first level barbarian you get the full 12 hit points if you're a first level sorcerer you get the full six hit points if you then switch over so in our, our first level barbarian for instance they have a d12 hit dice because that was the first level they get one level in sorcerer now they're a barbarian one sorcerer one mm -hmm. they only get a d6 extra hit points when they level up plus their con in the usual way you don't get the full six because you're not a first character level you're only a first multi-classing level so you, you get the dice rather than the full whack mm -hmm. and you get a d6 as a hit dice as well so now you've got a pool where your hit dice have one d12 and one d6 when you take a short rest you can pick which one you use. You don't have to use all of them in a particular order. And when you long rest, you get half of them back and you get to pick which ones come back. So it can lead to a bit of a messy hit dice pool. If you've got, say, four D12s, a D10, and three D8s, you may have a short rest and go, well, I don't know which ones I want to use. I'm not that injured. Maybe I'll use some of the weaker ones first, or maybe because it's more efficient, I'll use the heavier ones first. And when you long rest, you get to pick which ones come back out of your half maximum. But you have to keep them separate from each other and that first level rule is really important as well because some people think if i multi-class between six or seven different classes i get six or seven different full hit point wags so mm. i get a full eight hit points on my first monk level and i get a full 10 hit points when i get to my first ranger level it doesn't work like that it's only your first character level that gives you the full hit points wag so in our example where we have a barb sorcerer barb level one sorcerer level one which Ever you pick first makes a big difference on how many hit points you have. Because if you pick the sorcerer first, you would only have six plus your con on your first level. Whereas if you picked your barb first, you'd have 12 plus your con on your first level. This is the bit where I'm. it starts to go, oh no, more, more things to keep track of. But yeah, fairly straightforward once you've got your head around the first couple of levels, I think. And 
I feel like now that everything has been streamlined to be online play, like D&D Beyond does it very, very well. It shows quite quickly the different pools and stuff. I think being there in person, I would worry that I would have a tend to forget myself. And I guess going back to what we're talking about, like with having NPCs or minor characters, that before Tasha's came out, obviously now we've got psychics, which makes it a streamlined process. Would you have ever considered having minor characters uh, who were multiclassing at all? I would be reticent just from a DM's point of view, just because the complexity gets a little bit complicated. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't necessarily say it was based on multi-classing. I get more worried that I just forget even the street class abilities for characters. Like we've yeah. got a campaign at the moment where you have a level 15 ranger going around with you. And the features of a level 15 ranger are incredibly complicated when they all get put together, even though they're not a spellcasting class. Um mm. So there's a risk that you overload yourselves, but it is possible. I think some multi-class options are much easier. Like, as I say, the fighter rogue combo is a classic example of a very easy one to get your head around. Mm -hmm. If you had a cleric wizard combo, that's going to be much more difficult to try and get your head around everything that's going on there. I'm reading in between the lines here a bit, but I guess it's like when you are multiclassing, have a think about, maybe you need more experience, certainly with when, when we probably go on to spellcasting, is that if you need to have a quick look at stuff, just take your time with it. Don't jump in and expect it all to make sense, because even I don't think it makes sense yeah. at the end of it. Yeah, it's, it's like when you build your character full stop, don't do it because you think it's the most efficient thing to do or because it's the best thing to do or because you're told it's the best thing to do. You need to have an idea in your head as to what you want to get out of the game. If you're sat there and you're thinking, oh, I've got a sixth level wizard and it's fun, but I need something more complicated. I need something really mathematical to get my head around, then absolutely take a cleric one druid one dip if you want, because your character sheet is going to be so complicated and so messy that you will have have a hilariously fun time keeping on top of that but if you have read that if you're a sixth level cleric and a wizard dip would be the best thing to do because technically and mathematically it's the best thing to do but you're not the sort of person that enjoys the complexity of running a complicated character then think carefully about whether this multi-class is for you like what are you trying to get out of the game what itch are you trying to scratch are you really trying to find something that you can get stuck into or are you looking for a good time because and multi-classing is is very complicated very quickly in certain aspects so yes. just be careful fine all right we've got efficiencies out the way we've got hit die perfect 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 what else do we need to know when we're multi-classing so when we think about first level stuff the other aspect that you've got to keep in mind with multi-classing is it makes a difference between your character's first level and your multi-classing first level when it comes to multi-classing proficiencies so Every different class in the game has a different combination of skills, languages, tool sets, shields, weapons, all of these proficiencies that come with them. And when you get a first level in a class, you get given a bunch of proficiencies based on that class's skill set. So a fighter, for instance, I believe gets all weapons, all shields, and all armor. So they can go full up to the heavy armor whack when you get a first level fighter. Mm-hmm. Multiclassing is a little different because when you get a first level in something, you don't get the full whack of skill proficiencies and item proficiencies that you would do if your character was first level. And there are some classic examples of where it doesn't look that different and classic examples where it looks very different. So for instance, two examples here would be if you were to get a level one of fighter, if you get a multiclassing level one fighter, so it's not your character's first level, but it's your first fighter level. 
we only get light armor, medium armor, shields, simple weapons, and martial weapons. So don't get heavy armor heavy in armor. our mix. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing as a sorcerer and you take a fighter level dip in order to increase your armor capacity, you could only wear up to medium armor, not heavy mm-hmm. armor. Whereas yeah. if you started with fighter and went to sorcerer, you would be able to wear heavy armor. That's, I think, one of the main ones. The other one that strikes me quite often as well is rogue. So mm-hmm. if you start with the multiclassing of rogue, so not your character first level, but the rogue first level, you get light armor, one skill, and thieves tools. That one skill is very different to the rogue list because if you start on rogue, you get a bunch of skills. I forget exactly how many it is. I think it's like six or something like that. Like it, it is a lot. Let me just have a look here. Let's have a look. I also was like, oh, I should have probably looked that up as well. Four. Four. You get four. four. So wow. it, it's still quite a lot. So if you start with rogue, you'll have three more skills than if you multi-class into rogue. So I guess like looking at, again, is that sort of thing where if you're planning your character ahead and you're that sort of person who's like, who's more about making the character in the sense of what they want to be in more efficiency, that's, that's when this would come in. But I guess from a story point of view, if you're not one of those people who doesn't plan ahead like me, uh, just, just going with your gut is enough. But keeping these in mind is, is a good plan. plan. Ahead. I mean, you do play a barbarian for a reason, but I'd like to think you're... You're, you're, you've got the intelligence to plan ahead. You're fine. Uh, I wasn't fishing for compliments, but I'll take it because it's really early on a Saturday. <laughs> you know, like, behind the scenes, right? Like, Fee has played full spellcasters before. You played a wizard for a long period of time and you were great. Yes. You know what? I was, um, I was talking about this, this phenomenon I had the other day whereby every time I go about to go into a Zoom room, I have that anxiety of going, it's fine. You love it. You love doing what you're doing. It's totally fine. Click on it. And that's what happened every time we played. We played I would sit there at the table whilst everyone else was getting ready and stuff. And I'd be like, you do enjoy this. You, it's a yeah. lot of admin. You do enjoy it. Just go yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, sorry, this is just a weird side thought. If you're playing a spellcaster and you do find it the, like overwhelming with how many spells there are, because there are a ton of spells in sorry. D&D, it's, especially if you go for one of the classes that lets you pick per day, so like a cleric or, or druid build, can I advise, look at getting either, if you're not using D&D Beyond, which is a really good way of sort of, or, you know, we're not sponsored by them, but it seems like you guys enjoy it when you use it, spellcast are a really really good idea even if you don't buy them just taking some business cards you don't use or cutting up some pieces of paper and writing your spells down that's really handy because you can build yourself every long rest an actual hand of cards of spells that you've prepared you've got more written in front of you there's no having to dip in the book the player's handbook's fine but there are so many spells i think there are like there's over a hundred pages of them so trying to flick through them and go from the front to the back and trying to find your spell and like it's an absolute nightmare so make it easy for yourself like spell cards really really help to try and get your head around what you're doing i love that again like yeah because obviously now with with more books so like obviously xanathar's uh, tasha's as well they've got some brand new yeah. spells so looking around several books like I, some people do that i love the idea of creating like a like a hand or even having your own spell book because obviously wizards have their own spell book and having that little thing there that would be really cool as well that you just have to hand and then you can write out Sorry, this is me going to more the <laughs> when we're back in person, and if I ever play her again, then absolutely I would have yeah. a, a hand of cards. That sounds absolutely. that sounds awesome. It, it, it makes it makes a lot of difference. Um, but going back to multi-classing with, with yes. the proficiencies and the fact that so that rule, the starting proficiencies has been changed for multi-classing. There are a couple of other class feature rules that are also tweaked and changed 
to make use of multiclassing. So mm. channel divinity has been changed because there's multiple ways of getting channel divinity. You can get it from paladin and food clerics is a, is a mm. good example of that. Channel divinity, if you've got two different sources of it, it doesn't give you more uses per day. So if you're only a level three cleric and a level three paladin, you can still only use channel divinity once per day, even though both classes give you the option. But if you were a cleric six paladin four, as the example in the book gives you, you can use channel divinity two times a day because the cleric skill list specifically has said that you can use channel divinity twice per day. Mm -hmm. So that is worth keeping an eye on. They don't stack. What you do have is more options. When you use channel divinity, you can use any of the options from a cleric or the paladin list. And if you've got it two times per day, you can use the cleric twice per day. You can use the paladin twice per day. It doesn't matter what you use, as long as it's limited to two times per day. Mm -hmm. So it's flexibility rather than quantity. I feel like it's written really badly in the book, but you've explained it absolutely perfectly. And the same for extra attack as well, is that just because you have more instances of it, like when you level up, doesn't mean it stacks on, it just incorporates it a bit more. And yeah, like with with Childhood Divinity, if you have more options to it, it just means you can choose it more, but you don't have more uses of it. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, the extra attack, again, that's a really, really good point because it says quite clearly that if you've got multiple things that give you extra attack, they don't stack. Don't think about extra attack as your character gets plus one attack because that's how you get yourself modeled if you've got a fighter that has extra attack a paladin that has extra attack and a bard that has extra attack you're not getting plus one plus one plus one when you do that extra attack is literally you have unlocked the option to attack twice instead of once you can if you think about it like if there was a big checkbox that says your character can attack once per turn have you checked the box to say instead they can attack twice per turn once you've checked it once you can check that box as many times as you want you can scribble on it you can put a smiley face in it you can circle it it's not going to make you attack more than twice per turn you've unlocked that option already unlocking it again is not going to do a single thing and it specifically says as well because i get asked this a couple of times as well like it actually has been asked in my campaign does thirsting blade the warlock eldritch invocation let you do an additional attack on top of that no Mm. that literally just gives you the extra attack option so if you've got that ability and also the extra attack you can't attack three times Mm. the only time you can attack three times is if you've got 11th level fighter because the fighter extra attack at 11th level specifically says you can attack three times that's the only time this works and other things just to quickly notice well is that again very straightforward but you don't get the starting equipment when you when you uh multi-class anyway. i just love that idea that somebody would do that and then they wake up the next morning and they go oh look some extra money a signet <laughs> ring a sword all that sort of thing and that's very true a quick mention about unarmored defense as well so it's the sort of thing you can't stack it compared to just like what you can't do with extra attack as well but yeah, yeah. The, the line about starting equipment did make me chuckle quite a bit like again it, i i don't think i would have ever expected that but clearly if it's in the book someone's had to say it aloud because someone's yeah. asked the question so yeah. i like that exactly the idea that you're, you're hoarding first levels and things to get starting equipment does make me laugh just remember players if you're worried about how much gold your character has just level them up the treasure tables become crazy big once you get past like fifth and then tenth level so don't worry about it Anything you're adding at this stage will get quickly overwhelmed by what you're adding. Just a quick note on unarmored defense as well. Unlike a lot of the other flexible things, this specifically says once you have unarmored defense, you can't gain it again from another class. That means whatever your first unarmored defense is, that's the one you keep. Mm -hmm. And this is a good 
classic example of that is the barbarian arm armor defense, which is based on your con modifier compared to the wizard, the monk, sorry, on armor defense, which is specifically on your wisdom. You can't switch it. So ah. if you start with barb and then you go to monk, it's still con. I've got the head around all of this thing. Great. What if spellcasters? <laughs> <laughs> what if? So there are easy things to pick out from multi-classing spellcasters. So we're going to do that first, okay? Okay. <laughs> the first of them is packed magic. So regular spellcasting versus packed magic is something that people don't realize how different it is. Packed magic is specifically the spellcasting that warlocks get. So when warlocks gain spells, they only have a couple of spell slots. It's normally either one or two, unless you're really high up into the warlock tree. And the packed magic is always the highest level that the warlock can produce mm -hmm. so if you're a third level warlock you've got two spell slots of packed magic and they're always third level so the packed magic spell slots actually get higher and they also come back on short rests rather than long rests it's one of the unique features of warlocks there they don't have much spell casting but the spell casting they do is mm. big punchy and comes back very quickly packed magic and regular spell casting is separate so if you have multi-classing ability to cast spells in the regular way through any other class from paladin to druid to cleric to wizard to whatever it is, those spell slots are separate to Pact Magic. Pact Magic is a separate entity and you work out Pact Magic and how many spell slots you've got separately. However, like in any multi-classing spell casting, and this is a golden rule you need to remember, you don't have to keep your spell slots isolated when casting spells. Mm. So you can use Pact Magic spell casting to cast your regular cleric spells, and you can cast your cleric spells with Pact Magic. You can cast your warlock spells with cleric spell slots. You can mix and match. It's just when working out how many spell slots you've got, you need to keep Pact Magic separate. Kind of makes sense? Yes, yes. I don't play Warlocks that often, but the pack magic's always been very straightforward. Again, just like, it's like what you said, you go into a room, you're the loudest person, and then you need to have a quick rest. That's how I see Warlocks. So yes, yep. definitely. Yeah, exactly. You've had five minutes and now you need to sleep. It's yeah. exactly what Warlocks are. Hard yeah. relate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, precisely. So with Warlocks aside as being separate, you always work out the packed magic spell slots separately. The rest of spell casting all gets jumbled together into one huge pot, depending on the levels of spellcasting that you have. There are three different ranges of spellcasters. You've got full casters, you have half casters, and you have third casters. And how many spell slots you get is based on your character level or your spellcasting character level. And your spellcasting character level is different to your adventuring casting level. This is where it gets a little bit more complicated. Mm -hmm. Some levels of classes give you full casting levels. So it determines that as any level you've got in Bard, Cleric, Druid, Sorcerer, or Wizard. Basically any class with access to ninth level magic. Those are all what we call full classes. What you need to do is you need to add up all of the levels in those full casting and these go all fully towards your multi-class spellcasting level. So if you've got three bard levels and four cleric levels, you would be a seventh level caster for the purpose of multi-classing. 
-hmm. You then have your half casters. These are the ones that only have range to fifth level spells. So historically, this was always paladins and rangers because they get spell casting at a, at a half level. But now also artificers as well, that they've been introduced into Tash's cauldron of magic. They're also half casters. Mm -hmm. When you add up levels in those spell casters, you need to half the amount and round it down. Mm -hmm. So if you're a fifth level paladin, for the purposes of multi-classing, you half it to two and a half, and then you round down to two. You are only adding two levels of spellcasting to your multi-class spellcaster. So if in our previous example, you were a fifth level cleric, fifth level paladin, you take all five cleric levels because they're a full caster, but you only take two levels for a paladin because they're a half caster, and you work out that you're a seventh level caster for purposes of this. So it all gets a little bit fiddly and mathematical. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. <laughs> and then you have your third, which is very quickly. It's the only two that pop up here are the spellcasters of, of non-spellcasting classes. So you've got your Eldritch Light from the fighter and then the Arcane Trickster from the rogue. Mm -hmm. So those you third your character level or your, your class level, and then you round down in the same way. So you put all that together. You've got a spellcasting class or character level. Mm -hmm. That gives you a lovely little table on the page 165 of the player's handbook, and that tells you how many spells you've got at your character level. It's exactly the same spellcasting tree as any full caster, so if you don't know where this is, just look at your cleric or your wizard or anyone that's got a full spellcasting list, because it's exactly the same. And what it means is that you will have higher spellcasting levels available to you or spell slots available to you than you actually know how to cast spells for. This is the yes. classic multi-classing issue. So if you are, for instance, a fifth level cleric, a fourth level wizard, your fourth level wizard means that you know spells of second level. Your cleric fifth level means you know spells of third level. But because you're a ninth level spellcaster, you have fourth and fifth level spell slots available to you. You don't know any fourth or fifth level spells. You don't unlock anything. That's an important thing to take into account. When you learn spells, you have to specifically look at your classes individually to learn what spells those classes are giving you. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is cast those spells at higher levels. So what typically happens is when you have a multi-casting healer, for instance, you may be casting Cure Wounds, but at sixth or seventh level because you've got crazy high multi-classing spell casting levels, but you just don't know any spells to actually use at that level. For me, like the bit where it, you would mix and match. So if you had, say, uh, like a, a sorcerer, wizard, uh, uh, some some levels in that, but then also paladin. That's the bit where I was just like, so would you would you halve it overall? But it's individual, that is, yeah. and then you add it together. That's the thing. It, it is just basically a uh, mathematical equation. It's just working out which bits to do first. So it is, you do get your head around it, but like I said, the wall of text is <laughs> daunting to the best of times, but I don't know how you find this one, but sometimes a lot of the classes, certainly spellcast ones, they copy and paste quite a yeah. few bits of it. So they're like spells known, spells prepared, spell slots, etc. So as soon as I see it, I go, I've already read this. And then I go, oh, but I still didn't understand it back then. I still don't understand it now. So that, that's what I struggle with constantly with the adding yeah. and stuff, but yeah. I explained it like that. It's it's incredibly straightforward. You just need to take a little bit of time just to double check your working out, I guess. Exactly, exactly. It's easier if you've got full caster levels because you just add up all the levels of your full caster classes. It's when you've got these half casters that gets a little bit more complicated. But generally speaking, you should be in a situation where you've unlocked higher spell slots mm. per level than you actually know the spells for. It's a classic tactic when you combine it with classes that don't, 
use spells to use their spell slots. So the one you classically see a lot is the Paladin. So the Paladin can use their ability to smite people on a hit and burn spell slots using those spell levels. So I think you get 2d8 for using a first level spell, then you get an extra d8 for every spell that you, you sort of get. But Paladins are half casters, so they don't have many spell casting levels. So what typically you see is somebody goes to fifth level of Paladin to unlock the extra attack, you can smite, and then they get nothing but Cleric levels after that because Cleric levels are full caster levels. So you get way, way, way more spell slots to use for smiting later down the line at the expense mm. of not getting some of the Paladin abilities later, but you unlock all of these higher level spell casting slots. Mm. So that's something you see quite often. The, the other one you see as well is, say you want to play your Magic Swordsman, you've got the Eldritch Knight Fighter mm. um, subclass that you can use for that. But that's only a third spell caster. So if you got all the way to ninth level Fighter, you would only be able to cast at a third level so you'd only just have unlocked your second level of, of spell casting slots mm -hmm. but if you went for fifth level fighter and then you had four levels of wizard for instance then you would be a fifth level already so you'd have third level slots available to you so there, there are ways you can multi-class to get more magical ability effectively mm. um, yeah, it's, it's nuts. Um, <laughs> yeah, for something you can't see it because it's not a video visual podcast, but my face has sort of gone into screensaver mode a little bit. It's just like, <laughs> but yeah, ultimately taking the time about it, working it out. I think, again, it's that sort of thing where if you have a good idea of what your concept is as a character and then being able to boil it down. So, because we always say this when people are creating new characters, like, do you want to be a close range, upfront fighting? Do you want to be ranged fighting? Do you want to have spells? And then breaking it down, they say, like, oh, well, I want to do a little bit of both. Then it's like, okay, so now we've narrowed down some classes, but like, which ones should we start in perhaps? And being able to do that for your players, is actually probably quite helpful so that they can build the class they want. If it's certainly using just the player's handbook. Obviously with now with Tasha's and with everything, we can even fine tune it so you don't have to multi class anymore which people maybe have been asking for but i think it is a fairly straightforward process just something that you need to i would go through with a friend just to double check my working out essentially yeah that is totally true it can get really complicated really quickly and mm. it's something you just need to keep keep on top of but as i say that when you know how many spell slots you've got that's the easiest way to like keep on top of it that's the hardest thing to find there is a whole section on spells known and prepared and these get complicated because unfortunately in D&D, all the different classes prepare and know spells in different ways and different mm -hmm. levels. So you've got some classes like a sorcerer, for instance, that only have a certain amount of spells that they know. You only get so many per level. Bards are like that as well. And warlocks are like that. They, actually, it's easier if I say it like this, because the, the other way of doing it is, is you've got like a wizard, uh, sorry, not a wizard, um, a cleric or a druid, and they have the ability to know every single spell in the book, but they can only prepare so many per day. When you multi-class, just remember this, when you do a long rest or you level up and you prepare your spells, break all of your spell casting classes into separate buckets and prepare your spells separately. So if you are a wizard cleric mix, you don't try and combine it. Mm. Take your wizard spells, say I am a third level wizard, so I know this many spells and have this many prepared per day. Work that out. And then you put it all to one side and say, I am a second level cleric. I know this many spells and prepare this many per day. And you work that out. And then you know what spells you've got per day. Mm. So you'll find that by being a multi-classer, you potentially have more spells prepared and known per day than you would do normally but it doesn't affect how many spell slots you've got. It, mm. The easiest 
way of treating it is just keep them all separate. If you try and combine it, you will start to bleed from your nose and ears and you will start seeing Cthulhu and it's just, it will go horribly wrong really quickly. Yeah, it's like trying to do your maths homework and your science homework at the same time. Do it one at a time and then the process feels a lot safer and better and you don't yeah. get them mixed up. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Separate out spell slots and spells you know. Spells you know and prepare those never cross over. Those are always separate with your classes. Mm -hmm. Spell slots, once you've worked out how many spell slots you've got, those are free to use in whichever spell list you want. And that's the thing that I get asked most. So we'll, we'll, we'll just triple clarify that. If you've got warlock spell slots, cleric spell, no, sorry, warlock spells, cleric spells, and wizard spells, once you know how many spell slots you've got, you could use only cleric spells for the entire day on all of those spell slots there's nothing stopping you doing that mm -hmm. you just don't know any different spells than separating your classes out so ryan before we did this session i was thinking to myself you know it's very nice because we've got some examples about really early on only having two levels or multiclassing only twice but i was aware there was a little a little time ago there was someone who did do a character on a big show which multiclassed several times so i'll do a little bit of context before we go into <laughs> the character sheet because i i think your words to me when i sent you the character sheet was like what is this creation and that is what most people said when it came out yeah so I've talked about it certainly on this podcast before, but there is a show called Acquisitions Incorporated, which is the big penny arcade collaborative storyline with Wizards of the Coast, whereby they showcase pretty much a lot of the new content, a lot of new modules that are coming out and obviously used to do live shows. There was a spin-off show from that called The C Team, where essentially they did their own little sort of homebrew world where it's all about guilds and stuff and about the business side to adventuring. And from that, one of the characters that came across and one player that is prominent in both Acquisitions Incorporated and C Team is one Patrick Rothfuss, who is you know, a very famous author, the uh, writer of the King Killer Chronicles. I always say Kingfisher, and I also haven't read them, so it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> but Patrick is known for what is called Patrick Rothfuss bullshit. He likes asking the DM these amazing sort of creative questions, so much so that the DM's like, fuck it. Of course you can. And so it's become a phenomenon whereby he's just like, can I use all these skills and just do this? And like thinking of creative solutions outside the box. And I think from that sort of personality quirk or from that way of playing has come this character, Drebus Beestinger. Now, a little bit of context that in the C team, there is a character called Rosie Beestinger who just adopts children. And that's how they get guests onto the show by they, oh, this is another Beestinger child that's come to ask for help. Drebus Beestinger is a half old player who the backstory is that, that they wanted to to go study at university but didn't like it and is now sort of a drifter and just dipping into all these other specialities because that's what they feel like so every time they appear on the show they have another level or another speciality in another area of expertise a bit like a layabout son so for a level 10 character they are a half orc three levels in rogue one level in barbarian one level in bard two levels in Paladin, two levels in Sorcerer, and one level in Wizard. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. And you think to yourself, wow, 
what what is this crazy stuff? But again, thanks to D and D Beyond, it is all sort of spread out. Again, I I know we I keep saying this as if it's easy. Obviously, you know, D and D Beyond were not sponsored, etc. But it just makes it clear how complicated a character can be, but shown in a very straightforward way. So you got obviously three full spellcasters plus a paladin, and then a barbarian and a rogue on top. <laughs> and if I had the chance, Ryan, I would have sent you the clip of it. There's a one of the live shows where they're in a fight. Dreamus is like, well, I want to do this, and if that hits this 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 and this and they all stack up now obviously some things don't stack up like i know for example when you rage you can't do any spell casting unless you have a certain feet and stuff like that but it is just incredible to see someone working out how to use all their different abilities because they've done something like this mm. and when he was asked about it, he said well why did you do this he goes i just wanted to see how much I could do before breaking a character and breaking uh, a DM sort of thing. So there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it. But the one thing to note is that looking at the ability scores, most of them are at least 13. There's a couple of 14s in there, but wisdom is an eight. So it wouldn't be able to do any sort of druid or cleric um, yeah. stuff on that. So yeah. It, I mean, it looks, the amount of skills this person has in order to think about every, well, not even actions they've got is hilarious. Like, I'm just having a look through. So all the regular actions like attacking, casting a spell and stuff, but they've got divine sense, lay on hands, sorcery points, unarmed strikes, and bonus actions. They've got two-weapon fighting, thunderous smites, bardic inspirations, converting sorcery points, cunning action from rogues, fast hands, raging from barbarians. It's the amount of stuff they can do is nuts. But I'm going to put Fee on the spot here, right? So oh, no. they are a third level rogue thief, yeah. first level bard, second level paladin, second level sorcerer, first level wizard. So, yeah, how casting level are they? Uh, oh no, <laughs> um, <laughs> how would you work it out? Well, so, so we've got so you've got bard, sorcerer, two, wizard. So, those are the full spell casting. So, technically, that's four and yep. then you've got the paladin which is two but because that's half you it's down to down to one so then f five so it's i think it's yeah. level five. Oh, okay. this level that, that's exactly right <laughs> yeah so, so this person they're 10th level and has all these multi-classing but they will have four first level first spell slots three second level and two third level and it's it's that simple Yes, it is that simple <laughs> when you are multiclassed into how many is it? Six, six classes, yeah. uh, 10 levels. I'm so. not even going to try and, and learn their spells known list. That, that looks horrendous. But again, this, this, what was cool about this is that it is just a one-off character that appears every so often as a guest thing. Like Again, you don't have to think too hard about it, if, I guess, if you were playing something like this. But it's just to show that you could specialise into as many classes as you want. It can be done. Whether you'd want to do it is a different thing, and I guess maybe the reasons behind it. But yeah, I, lo I love the idea of this concept of like a, a layabout drifter who tries something and commits to it for a little bit, and then it's like, ugh. I hate it. Uh, you know, I can't do it anymore. Ah, oh, whatever. So I just I thought that was such a cool character concept from a storytelling point of view, not necessarily a min-maxing or like like you said, like the fight the magical swordsman, for example. I just thought yeah. it was just quite cool to have it. And yeah, just have just to see the words barbarian and paladin and wizard all in the same line just yeah. made me chuckle. There are some fantastic multi-classing options out there if you for them. It's a, a particular favorite topic of the internet. So once you get your head around the rules, play to your heart's content. Brilliant. That is multi-classing. Hooray. Uh, that's me going hooray now <laughs> compared yep. to the yep. previous you hooray. You can drop it and never think about it again. It's great. Thank 
God. No, but it's nice to go through it. And yeah, it is literally two pages in the player's handbook. And just building from there, it's fairly straightforward. And even if you don't think about it, it's something cool to talk with your DM or with other players who, you know, again, it's that sort of way of fine tuning it. That's not necessarily with a lot of feats or a lot of customization, say, from Tasha's. Yeah. So, Ryan. Where can we find you on the internet? What are you up to? What big plans have you got? What? Oh, you should find me on the Earth Orion Discord. Come and say hi. You can we can we can chat about anything from D D to Civ Six, which is normally what I spend my time playing. Mm-hmm. You can find me as Earth Orion on YouTube. Fantastic. And I am Fiona. I run the What Am I Rolling podcast. As always, it's going very very well. <laughs> um, I said, I, I you know what, Ryan? I had a really nice thing the other day. A little while ago, you might remember, I talked about doing the Warhammer fantasy role-playing one-shot. And I said that I enjoyed it. There was a limit. I met it. It was great. Um, I've been asked back to do a live stream of it in mid-February. So probably after this episode has gone out. But hey, that's cool. Um, so I will a Warhammer nerd before you know it. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I need to look at the details properly, but yes, I should be. That'd be quite cool to do that online. And it looks like there's some other really cool guests on there as well. So I was like, oh, sweet. So big news for me in the last 24 hours. So really cool. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, I hear you've got some collaboration stuff coming up in the works. Yeah, I don't know if you can talk about it, but that's still pretty pretty cool from what I saw on the Discord. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a bunch of us YouTubers getting together to make some Civ 6 stuff but nothing that concerns D&D so don't worry about it you should come and say hello well thank you so much for joining us and we will be here for you next time I don't know we're not therapy but just come on back and listen all right consider us as therapy and see you later bye